Um, we are taking a brief hiatus from our time in Genesis uh, for the next couple weeks. Uh, we thought with moving into our new space that it would be a good idea to maybe take a second and breathe and talk about who we are and why we're here. Why we're here as a church, kind of what makes Hope Springs, Hope Springs. And uh, so we're going to do that. The next few weeks today we're talking about loving God. Next, pe- next week we're going to talk about loving people at OU. And then the following week we're going to talk about serving our city. So if you want to know all about Hope Springs and what we are and why we're here, why we're doing this, that's why. We want to love God, we want to love people, we want to serve our city. That's why we exist. This is our DNA. Nothing more and nothing less. Our mission is almost as important in what it doesn't say as for what it does say, by the way. But as we begin our time talking about who we are and loving God, what does it mean to love God? What does a relationship with God actually look like? Here's some thoughts about what people think a relationship with God means. I don't know about you, but for me in my life, sometimes I've thought of God as a judge that I should be scared of. Um, That God is like complete with lightning bolts on clouds and just ready to zap people who make a mistake. Maybe God is a judge. Maybe you've thought this. That a relationship with God is all about this. Do the right things and don't do the wrong things. The end. Maybe having a relationship with God without making everyone else agree with me isn't good enough. Maybe God's stuff is for Sunday and worship songs and church time. But none of that actually has anything to do with what we're after here at Hope Springs. None of that. None of this is what a real, meaningful relationship with God that's whole looks like. And we want to talk about that this morning. I want you to think of the most intimate relationships that we have as people. As humans, what are the, what are the most intimate, meaningful relationships that we have? I would say it's probably, it probably comes down to two places. In the, the relationship between parents and children and the relationship between lovers. The most consistent, pervasive way that the Bible talks about relationship with God is this. In the context of relationships between parents and children. And in the context of relationships between people who love each other. God is father. God is a lover. God is a mother hen. The Bible talks about God in all of these ways and many, many others. But most pervasive is the metaphor of relationship that the Bible talks about God. Are these relationships, if you think about the relationships that we have between parents and kids and the relationships that we have between like spouses or significant others, all of those relationships, are those relationships that are confined to a certain area of our life? Not if they're healthy, right? Are those relationships fundamentally about power and control and fear and manipulation? Not if they're healthy, right? What are these relationships? So what are the relationships that are most meaningful when they're healthy and when they're lasting? I want you to think about it for just a second. The deepest relationships that you have over the longest term of your life. What what has typified those relationships? I think those relationships have all been filled with hope and with sadness and with joy and with pain and with elation and with conflict and tension and happiness and everything else, right? In every relationship that is healthy and intimate, there will be a wrestling that happens between people, between creatures. Because our hearts don't work properly. Because we carry wounds and we carry hurt that needs dealing with. And that when it is dealt with, is difficult. The Bible says to love your Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. But how do we do that? How do we actually love God that we may be able to love people? How do we do this? We're going to pray and we're going to look into some relationships that people have with God in the Bible. 
And we're going to take just a brief snapshot of like three or four places in the Bible where people have a really deep, intimate connection with God. And we're going to ask questions about, well, what does that mean for our relationship with God? What does that mean for how we would relate and interact with God? And we're going to try to figure out what it means to love God with all our heart, all our soul, and with all our mind. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want you to think about the most intimate relationships that you have. And by most intimate, I mean what has lasted the longest? Maybe it's a relationship with a spouse, family member. What are the healthiest relationships that you have, the most intimate, the most long-lasting? Then I want you to think of this question. What is it taken to make those relationships work? What is it taken? What kind of joy, what kind of pain, what kind of conflict, what kind of love, what kind of wrestling has it taken to make those relationships work? To bring them to a place of being healthy. I want you to just take a second and talk to God about your relationship with God. Do you feel close? Do you feel far? Do you need help this morning connecting? Whatever words make sense to you in the quietness of your heart, why don't you just take a second to pray? Father, we thank you for redeeming us from the pit of emptiness. The song's such a powerful reminder of what we've been saved from and for. That when we come to you with empty hands and empty hearts, we need rest, we need comfort, we need protection and guidance, we need truth, we need beauty this morning. But we need a healthy, whole, intimate relationship with you. God, I pray that as we open up your word that you would challenge maybe some of our assumptions about what that relationship with you looks like. Maybe for some of us, you'd shock us out of complacency and into a wrestling with you. For those of us who've been coasting, maybe, that you'd wake us up. God, for those of us who have felt so far from you, that we, we, we hear from your word that we are in good company. And that feeling far from you is not always being far from you. That shows what that means in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. It's for his kingdom's sake that we pray it. Amen. All right, we're going to be a little bit of all over the place in God's word today. We're going to take a snapshot. Again, we're looking for snapshots of people's lives and how they interact with God. And there is some crazy stuff in the scriptures today. So let's, let's look at it together. Look at Genesis 32. We're going to pick it up in verse, verse 22. It says this. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. This is a man that's saying goodbye to his life, basically. And I'll tell you why here in a minute. He sends his stuff and his people over the river. So Jacob was left alone. Look at this image. A man left alone on the opposite side of the stream is all his stuff. 
Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, meaning that the man could not overpower Jacob, remember that, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, not Jacob, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This is so weird, this story. It's honestly one of the weirdest moments in the Bible. I mean, there's so many weird moments in the Bible, right? Because life is weird. And why would the scriptures be any less different? But this is a strange, strange moment. And we're actually, you might end up hearing two messages on this in the span of a couple months. Because like I said, we're going through Genesis. So this is going to come back up. But in this moment, we see that Jacob is left alone. And he wrestles with a stranger and then wants a blessing. To give you a sense of who Jacob is, where he's been at up until now, Jacob has spent his whole life running from things. His name means the deceiver. The word Jacob means deceiver or trickster. And he's been deceiving and tricking people his whole life. He is scrappy and he's clever. And now, in this moment, as he sent his stuff over the river, he's getting ready to face his brother who he cheated out of an inheritance. This is a brother with an anger problem. And he's in the middle of nowhere, getting ready to face his destiny. And how would you expect God to get that guy's attention? I don't know what you would expect. I would not expect this. I would not expect a wrestling match in the desert. But that's exactly how God gets his attention. Think about this. A guy comes out of the darkness in the desert, in the middle of nowhere, and wrestles Jacob. Now, for those of you who have studied the Bible, or even if you haven't, I mean, if we, if we think of, like, this is going to end up being God, this person that wrestles with Jacob. The Bible says that it's God who wrestles with Jacob. So if the person is God, who's the person? Like, it has to be Jesus, right? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead, see, hail the incarnate deity, right? Jesus wrestles Jacob in the middle of the wilderness, this is a weird thing because Jesus hasn't been born yet. Jacob wrestles and he never quits. He keeps wrestling. Jacob, if you, could, if you can picture this, picture Jacob, the deceiver, the trickster, having Jesus in a headlock until morning. That's what happens. And Jesus has to use like his Jesus Kung Fu to disable his hip to get away from him. And that doesn't even work. He still cannot get away from Jacob. The metaphor is striking. Wrestling with God, holding on tight, facing your destiny. Look at verse 27. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he said. Notice that Jacob asked for a blessing from Jesus. And so Jesus asks him his name. And what did I tell you his name means? Deceiver, trickster. And so for a blessing, what does Jesus do in verse 28? Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So Jacob, the schemer, the deceiver, caught up in a story bigger than himself, demands a blessing. And so God responds with the greatest blessing he could give Jacob, which is a new name and a new identity. You've been known as this. Now you'll be known as this. 
And notice this, too, that Israel is not just Jacob's name, his new name, but Israel ends up being the name of God's family throughout history. What does this scripture mean? This scripture means that if you're in God's family, if you're going to have a relationship with God, you will wrestle. You will not just play nice. You will not just play pretend, keep up appearances, make sure everything's nice. You mix it up. You run after God and you wrestle with Jesus until daybreak. This is amazing and weird. Look at verse 29. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Jacob, in the middle of the desert, asked this question because he had been given a new name, so he should know who he's dealing with. God wrestles with Jacob, and Jacob wrestles with God, but he doesn't get to have power over God. He gets to keep wrestling. I don't know if you know the rest of Jacob. Jacob's story is that he lived happily ever after the end. He will continue to wrestle with God. He will continue to wrestle with people. All right, next snapshot. Job, his story goes something like this. He had a great life until he got caught up in an argument between the light and the darkness, between God and Satan. Another weird story. Everything is taken away from him. His family, his support system, his health, everything gone. Just gone like that. The Bible says that Job is blameless before, during, and after what happens to him. That is very important for what I'm going to say next. He is a hero. And I want, I want to just read a snapshot from his life. What, how do you think he responds? Right? If he's blameless and he's a hero in his relationship with God and suffering comes, how would you think he would respond? Maybe just, hey, this is all good, God. I just accept all this stuff. This makes sense. Somehow I deserve this. And move on, right? Wrong. Look at Job 3, picking up in verse 1. It says this. After this, after all this suffering, after all the devastation lands on Job, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. This is the Bible. He said, may the day of my birth perish. And the night that said, a boy is conceived. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day, those who are ready to rouse Leviathan, which is a monster. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. In all this, Job doesn't sin. But in all this, Job rages against the darkness, rages against the suffering, curses the day of his birth. Notice, please, that this is not an example of what not to do in the scriptures. The Bible calls Job blameless. This is an example of what health looks like in your life. If your life, your, your love of God does not involve dark tunnels and clenched fists, something is wrong. 
You may say this, what, what, do we have to invent melodrama? Do we need to look for suffering? No. You're either going to go through the darkness yourself, or you're going to walk through the darkness with someone else. Loving God is doing what God says, which is call light out of darkness and chase people even to the very depths of hell. That is what God does. And so we see in Job's life, and I'm not going to read all the texts because it would just depress you on a Sunday morning. But in all the texts that follow, his friends argue with him and say, hey, just like curse God and die. Run away from God. You did something wrong. And Job will over and over again say no. And he'll rage. David. David is an important figure in the Bible, obviously. He's called a man after God's own heart. He's he is called this guy that in some way, in some form, we see something of what we should be. And he writes a ton of psalms, a ton of songs. They're like the greatest hits in the Bible. And, and David over and over again writes these psalms. And so you think when you open up the Bible that you hear stuff like this from Psalm 18. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes, which were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord is my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. It sounds to me like that song Defender that we sing, right? That God rescued us, that he intervened. This is what you would maybe expect, intimacy and trust, a deep sense of joy and love. He's confident, he's passionate. It is the cry of a connected, engaged, and thankful heart. This is the same guy on a different, on a different day. Look at Psalm 51. Creating me a pure heart, O God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain, to sustain me. So we have praise and thankfulness. We have confession. God, help me. God, save me. God, I, need, I screwed up. Do a new thing. Create a new thing, a new heart, a new breath, a fresh start. In Psalm 109, we have the same guy on maybe his worst day. Notice what David writes. And this is still the Bible. Still the greatest hits. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he has tried, let him be found guilty. And may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless. And his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him nor take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sins always remain before the Lord, that he may blot out their name from the earth. Ouch, right? I don't know about you, but I read that text and I just want to say, no more, no more, please stop reading, right? Maybe you were thinking that as I was reading it. Please stop. But these are the, these are the scriptures. And this is part of David's life with God. Please note, I'm not saying that the emotions that crafted these verses were good. No. I'm not saying that David's heart is not like twisted and mangled in some way. But the scriptures include these verses. Why? Because we should be praying these? That someone would be fatherless and, a, and his wife would be widowed? No. 
Like add these to the list of scriptures you never thought you'd hear on a Sunday morning. They're dark. They're dark. But hear this. These scriptures are also very much in bounds when it comes to honestly seeking God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Because sometimes the conversation with God is going to sound like this. Just like sometimes it's going to sound like the exultant, thankful praise that David wrote. Just like sometimes it's going to sound like confession. Just like sometimes it's going to sound like cursing the day of your birth or feeling like you should. You will pray all of these and more in a life in pursuit of God. The honesty of the scriptures demands everything from you. Relationship with God is not about a nice and neat and put together relationship. It is about unearthing whatever is at the roots of who you are and addressing the darkness in you and in your world. Did you hear what I just said? A relationship with God is about unearthing whatever is at the roots of you, no matter how dark it is, no matter how messed messed up it is, no matter how twisted it might be. You may hear these examples and you may think, well, that's an isolated incident, okay? Like David, that's just an isolated incident. That was just, we just caught him on an off day, you know what I mean? If we just keep reading all this stuff, it'll more, be more good than more bad, okay? If, if, like Job is an aberration, it's just an extreme example, right? What about Jesus? What about Jesus, our Savior, the one we just sang songs about and to? What does Jesus do in his own relationship with God? What does God do in relationship with himself? This is one thing that he does at a pretty important moment. Look at Matthew 26, picking up in verse 39. And he, that's Jesus, went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face and prayed. That's Jesus, the Savior of the universe, falling on his face, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watching me for one hour? Keep watching and praying so you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus wrestles in the garden with God. Jesus wrestles with his destiny in the garden with God. He wrestles with his mission. He wrestles with his purpose on the day of. The day of. This is not years before Jesus will face the cross. This is not like a decade before when he's just wrestling and, just, and then he decides and he's fine. This is the night of his arrest and betrayal. What does he do? It's not just once. Look at verse 42. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again, and he went away, and he prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Jesus wrestles with God in the garden. This is a wrestling. Jesus is being honest here. We can't explain it away. We can't just whitewash it and pretend that he was just going through the motions. Jesus himself wrestles with God. To love God is to wrestle with God. And it doesn't even end there. Look at Matthew 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land to the ninth hour. Jesus is on the cross. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why have you forsaken me? Jesus doesn't get a great, like, he doesn't get a solid answer that we know of to his questions. We know that he cries out. We know that he wrestles. But the Son of God, God as a person, wrestles with God. God wrestles with God. God wrestles with himself. Over and over and over again. We see in the scriptures that if we are going to love God, if we are going to love him with all of our heart, that's your, that's, that's your guts, your feelings, your emotions. If you're going to love him with all your soul, that's your breath. If you're going to love him with all your mind, your intention, your decision making, you're going to wrestle. And you're invited to wrestle. That's part of our relationship with God. It's at the heart of our relationship with God. I've got one more. And honestly, Jesus is the most important example. But I just want to continue. Paul. Paul will say this in Romans chapter 7. I'm going to pick it up right in verse 15. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. This is the Apostle Paul writing Romans. If you're talking about one of the most important theological documents of all time, Romans, it's got to be like top five, maybe top three in terms of theology. This is found in that book. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that isn't in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I don't know about you, but that sounds like my deepest, darkest diary entries, right? Paul, when he's writing Romans, is wrestling with sin and darkness. He wrote this. He felt this, just like you and me and everyone else. These are not isolated incidents. These are not isolated incidents from bad guys in the Bible. These are from the best people of the Bible that we have, including Jesus. These texts are from heroes. What do they say to us about loving God? What do they say to us about our identity as Hope Springs to love God? It means that if you come here, and if you're inviting people here who wrestle with God, you're in good company. You're invited to wrestle with God here. You're invited to be honest about the darkest parts of your soul here. You're invited to wrestle. And what does this mean? What does this mean for the scriptures? Does this mean that when we face dark things and we walk through that with other people, that we just, we just shut down and run and pretend that it doesn't exist? For the people in the scripture, they keep talking. They keep talking to God. Job, when he feels the deepest, darkest despair, picks up his, opens his mouth, picks up his pen, and writes it down. He doesn't pretend that it's not there. He doesn't try to wash it away. These people in the scripture keep listening. They don't just keep talking, they keep listening. Jesus is on his face, listening for an answer that we don't see coming. These people keep loving. They keep pursuing. Now, if you're hearing this, here at the end, if you're hearing this, and you feel like there's no wrestling to be done, maybe you feel like, man, calm down, you know, everything's good, you know? I feel like my life with God is going pretty well. I feel like I'm connected with Him. I'm having great times 
pursuing God. That is awesome. That is fantastic. I'm not saying you need to invent melodrama. But let me tell you something. There is melodrama all around you all of the time. There are people in your world that are broken and hurting and that are desperate for someone to walk through that with them. If you feel like there's no wrestling for you to do with God personally, where can you help someone else wrestle? Because for Job, his friends just kind of heaped on more despair. And for Jesus in the garden, his friends just abandoned him. If everything is good with you and God, isn't it, good? it isn't good with everyone around you. I want to ask you, where are people wrestling in your world? And how do you help them wrestle? Because helping others and loving people doesn't mean helping them get over their wrestling. It means walking with them through the darkness, seeking God together. So the questions for us today, how is loving God for you more about talking and listening to God? How is loving God about living in community with other people and walking alongside other people who are wrestling? How can you wrestle and how can you help others wrestle today? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's wrestle with God. Go ahead and take a moment or two to pray, to seek. something broken in you? Is there something you need to be honest about that you need to get help with this morning? How do you need to wrestle with God? The second question is for you, who it seems like things are going pretty well. And, and maybe you don't feel like there's anything in your life right now that needs wrestling. There better be some people around you who are wrestling. Who's wrestling in your world that you need to walk alongside? We want names, we want faces. We want people that we need to walk alongside. Who is wrestling in your life? That you need to come alongside? That you need to help? That you need to listen to? Father, thank you for today and thank you for the scriptures that are so beautiful and so honest, so raw with the whole spectrum of human emotion. God, that we can come to your word and we can find people who lived and who experienced what we experience, who show us what it's like to walk with you, to wrestle with you. God, if there's anyone in here or anyone hearing this that thought that a relationship with you was about looking nice and playing nice and pretending, God, that you would shock us with the truth of your word and of 
your son who walked before us and who was honest and open and who suffered and who died and who lives again to give us new life. God, show us what that life looks like. Help us to be honest with you about what we're thinking and what we're feeling and where we struggle. God, help us to be honest with other people. God, help us to, maybe for those of us who, you know, things are going really well, and we feel like we're connecting with you, we feel like we're, we're moving forward in our life in a way that makes sense and is healthy. God, bring people, faces, names that we would walk alongside. God, if people are wrestling, are hurting, and they need friends, and they need family to surround them with love and with grace with comfort, with listening. God, help us to walk with people through wrestling. That we would be known, that Hope Springs would be known as a place where people wrestle with God, where people can be honest, and where people can give that honesty away to other people. God, thank you for your love and your grace that makes all of this, that even gives us the ability to stand and move in the world. Rescue us by your grace to be your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for being here today, for giving an offering as part of your time. There's a box in the back. Come on back next week to OU, where we're going to party with our friends up there. Um, if you need any directions or anything, you can hit me up, and we'll see you next time. Thanks.